growing a business and a brand when you've inherited it, when it's not your brand. I'm thinking from the point of view of a franchise, and that's exactly what this episode is going to focus on. We're going to talk about what one of your brand is provided for you, the identity and the, the visual elements are given to you on a platter. What are the good points? What are the bad points? Let's find out. Welcome to Divided by Brand, the podcast aimed at entrepreneurs, business owners and influencers. If you want to learn from industry experts and you want to listen to advice about how to feel more confident with your brand, then this is the show for you. Join me as I interview inspirational individuals at different stages in their business journey. My name is Dan O'Cock, I'm your host, and I'm a brand identity specialist with over 20 years experience. If you're interested to know if your own brand has all of the key ingredients to attract higher value clients, I've created a scorecard that'll help you do just that. It'll uncover if you're able to attract the right value clients and if your brand matches your ambition. The scorecard can be found by clicking the links button in the player. Yeah, the player that you're listening on. Just click the links button and you'll get redirected straight to my scorecard. It's very quick. It's incredibly simple to use. But most of all, it should deliver you some value straight to your inbox with your own customized report, which will have marked you across six core areas of branding. And I know you'll agree. That is quite long enough for a podcast intro. Should we just start the show now? So it gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest, my spotlight guest for this episode of Divided by Brand and my guest is a lot more familiar with the microphone than me and we're going to find out a little bit more about why that is um but it gives me great pleasure i hope he's there when i say hello it's tim tim coleman welcome to my podcast great to be here dan yeah really looking forward to it absolutely and to so i'll give a list of credits as to why you're more familiar with a microphone i'm gonna say that tim's worked with the likes of the bbc so radio four five live um and the world service to name a few have i got those right tim yeah that's right yeah and bbc local radio as well dabbled in a little bit of tv but i don't think i think i've got a face for radio so let's start with radio (laughs) you and me both and we were just talking weren't we about um home setups and home recording yes um balancing things that absorb sound so yeah and of course uh, everybody's now a broadcaster um yeah and this is the thing it's working out whether that's good or not but um that's not for me to judge Absolutely. So we've got a lot to cover. Tim's got an awesome story that I want to share um, with you and I want him to be able to to tell it. So I like to do a bit of sort of a little bit of an intro and a welcome. And I ask guests to give me three wins from the last couple of weeks. So three things that have gone gone really well for you before we get into it. What's been going well for you, Tim? Well, I've started to enjoy uh, face-to-face meetings again as we came out of the restrictions back in the summer. And I run monthly seminars for business owners. I'm now a certified business growth specialist. So started off in broadcasting, but realized I was a bit of a gob on a stick as a friend called me once and um, and, and that I could talk. And I enjoyed working with people. I've worked with a lot of young people in the broadcast industry and found myself coaching them really in many respects. And so for me to then formalize a coaching career as a business coach is something I moved uh, into and in the last couple of weeks as a business coach I've pulled together business owners as much of a networking opportunity as it is to hopefully share a few hints and tips that might help them in their businesses and ran a seminar last week in a local business park in in the building where you know lots of business owners were congregating and here was the interesting thing some of them were meeting for the first time who were working literally on the other side of the corridors from each other oh, right. and it's sort of a measure that you know people are still quite cautious about um 
integrating with each other because this strange post-pandemic, so-called post-pandemic period we're in, although I think we're still right in the middle of it in many respects. Yeah. And so they were meeting for the first time and actually really enjoyed engaging with each other. And uh, it, was re- it was really good. We had a bit of lunch. It was just a couple of hours. There was other business owners from the business parks around. This was in the middle of uh, my patch here in South Yorkshire and and really enjoyed it and you know some good feedback from it so that was a great win i've also recently been um, certified as an executive coach as well so i work with c-suite um exec ceos cfos coos those that uh, are at the top of their field and um i went on a course that <laughs> i discovered after i'd signed up was going to take place in the middle of the night on zoom over a five-week period from Fantastic. 2 a.m from well, 2 a.m to 8 a.m um every thursday for five weeks which which having a two and a half year old sort of seemed like a natural extension in the end, but had That's I known really that those guys, Tim, well <laughs> yeah. done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was tough to do, but I really I was really pleased to get through it. No, well done. So your first um, in person event, and then your qualification to C Suite coaching. You got one more, even though that's quite enough, really. But we'll go for three if you've got one. Well, I suppose the other is just um, starting to get out much more and being able to meet business owners face to face. I call it bold calling. So, you know, you've heard of the term cold nice. calling, but I actually really love going into a business part and just walking into businesses and introducing myself and having a conversation. And, you know, people are generally really welcoming and really polite because they can't hide behind the anonymity of social media or of yeah. uh, the virtual world. And where people can often be a bit harsher and perhaps a bit more rude in your face than they would be but face-to-face people are generally really pleasant and you can have some really interesting conversations in that spontaneous way so it's a bit scary sometimes but I actually I quite like sort of um, challenging myself to get out there and just meet people you know I can resonate because I remember the first business that I set up um, as a design business I was young 20s early 20s and um, I did that and um, we didn't have social media then so the only way to talk to people was to pick up the phone and I was a bit like I don't really want to do that uh, so I got in the car and did drove to business parks um, and yeah. spoke to people and introduced it because I found that a lot easier yes. um, than picking up a phone when someone can't see you yeah, um, yeah. I did, it was just one of those things. I'm happier talking to someone face to face than picking up a phone. It's a bit weird, that. I think, and I think that actually just proves that you know a large part of communication is non-verbal, and you know being in somebody's proximity it makes it's it, where we talk about 3D and 2D communication, and there is definitely a difference. And a lot of it is non-tangible. You you know there's a bit of a mystery there but i think in terms of acceleration of relationship you've got a better chance of doing that face to face than than you have virtually i think there's a place for virtual and we're all in this sort of hybrid era aren't we where we're trying to work out which which works in which context yeah and you've reminded me of that as well because it is far too easy to not take the lazy route but it's like it is a quick route when you just have to book a call you know, yes. Yeah. Expect someone to book a call. So a good example for that. I mean, another final win. Sorry, this is stealing four now. But I was it's just right. thinking of a of a meeting I had last week with a a business that I'm working with. It was a team meeting, and they pulled together the the, the business owner pulled together the senior leadership team, and they wanted me to facilitate a meeting which they knew was going to be quite awkward, and they were bringing in some. Um, some other members of staff that they knew were a little bit resistant to some of the changes that they were wanting to move on and i had to really do my homework and prepare and be sensitive to some of those dynamics and it really moved really well and we got through the agenda in a couple of hours and there were some issues that came up that i thought were going to be intractable but there was a real can-do attitude in the meeting and at the end of it they said you know the feedback i got was like we've achieved more in the last couple of hours than you know in this constructive sort of meeting than we have in in the last six months because they'd been doing zoom and working from home but just being Mm. face to face they achieve more than they thought they would in in a, in a short space of time. And no two-year-olds running in behind and them. no two-year-olds running in to distract them. Although what was really interesting to observe was that each of them had their phones on mobile and I was really encouraging them to consider this meeting really important against all the urgent things that might be screaming at them. And every 40 seconds, 50 seconds or so, somebody's table would vibrate and you could see the temptation to grab the phone. 
And I was encouraging them to just resist that. You know, you, you, that won't stop. You'll always have that. And, and they really benefited from working on urgent as opposed, uh, sorry, important as opposed to urgent. Absolutely. Well, there you go. I mean, that's 10 minutes of wins, Tim. We are going <laughs> to nail uh, easily an hour. We probably won't have even got halfway through the questions that I want to ask you. No problem. Um, it's fine. No, I like it when it flows like this. I don't like to... Um, you know, be too too regimented, but no, it, and, and it just helps people understand what you've um, you know been up with, been busy with, and what you've been up to. Yeah. Um, we're gonna uh, rather than start in the present, um, which we know that, or we will soon know that you are a business coach. I want to come on to that, and I want to kind mm-hmm. of build up your story and your journey mm-hmm. up to the point that that, that you're at now. And um, in your own words. Uh, with the bio that you sent over were saying that you hadn't had a conventional career path and 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 that's a great way to summarize the fact that you started life um growing up as a farmer's son and that's right basically going into agriculture but what i want to ask you so you can kind of tell us a little bit about is how do you go from agriculture but moving into what is entertaining and being in that radio world? Let's have a little bit of an, an insight yeah, as to what, not, what that early yeah. life was like. Not, not, not the normal path, is it, or the usual path? I think, I think the summary of that really is that I realised I was a show off in my early teens, and I enjoyed making people laugh. I enjoyed entertaining people. I was a bit musical, and um, yeah, just enjoyed. Uh, being very sociable and, and enjoyed, you know, getting on the stage occasionally in a play or being in a band. And uh, I actually had ambitions, I think, secretly, even though I'd come from this sort of humble farming background to be a, an actor. Um, right. But I knew, having done a little bit of um, walk-on type of work in various productions, how precarious a profession that is and how highly competitive it is, and actually not easy to make a career out of it or to make a living out of it. So I thought, well, actually, is there another opportunity to show off a bit and um, perform, but actually make a bit more of a career and I started thinking about media but I I, I really went you know the university degree I, I I took was simply because of the background I had I'd grown up on farms my, my dad was a farmer and we'd moved around because he was a farm manager mm. of large arable farms and I love the countryside I still do and um but we were I wasn't going to inherit a farm he wasn't a farm owner he was a farm manager right so for me it's like, do I actually feel that farming's in my blood? I don't think it is really. Um, I wanted to carve out my own my own way, really. So, so I thought, well, there's no point ditching it completely. I went to university with that degree, but halfway through, got involved in university radio, and really enjoyed it. And the station I was on was it was actually voted the last couple of years as the the best university radio station in the uk it was nottingham university's radio station and um i was at a separate agricultural faculty about 12 miles south of the main campus in nottingham itself and so the show i did was piped down to the agricultural faculty um Uh. and i i was a big fan of steve wright in the afternoon if if you can remember back then yeah Um, yeah. he's still he's still on radio two now yeah he is yeah um, that was on radio one at the time and you know he had his posse and i I used to take a posse up with me uh of of, of fellow (laughs) students and we just create characters and we just have great fun with it really and we would tell stories and we pulled together bits from various radio stations like simon bates's our tune you know the sad story oh, yeah, those, yeah those i do remember that and um and just have fun with it and create create a bit of a buzz and uh, i really enjoyed that and with that i took a demo tape from having done that to bbc radio nottingham and ended up doing a youth program on a friday night on BBC Radio Nottingham and enjoyed that and then met a guy who was setting up a production company, an independent production company um, that was going to be producing a radio drama over in Stoke-on-Trent and he was a newsreader of all things on BBC Radio Nottingham but he'd set this independent radio station up, uh, radio uh, production unit up and um, at, that, at that time no no BBC local radio station was putting radio drama on so it was like the first and it was it was a really innovative project which was to uh, try to weave into a drama storyline health messages and it was actually funded by the local area health authority in Stoke-on-Trent and the city council jointly and at the time which was back in the late 90s 
um, Stoke had this really poor reputation as a really sort of unhealthy city. Mm-hmm. And there were all sorts of indicators of why it was really performing badly. So um, I then went on to do The Archers. And the reason that I'm telling you this is because The Archers, which is the world's longest running radio drama serial on, on BBC Radio 4, is the everyday story of country folk. And it was originally conceived to be an educational programme in the post-war period. Well, I um, did not know that. Yeah, well, it was it was the Dig for Britain campaign. So when we were short of food and all on rations still after the war, it was like the government were thinking, how can we encourage people to grow their own food, know how to grow food, and we become a bit more self-sufficient? And so they went to the BBC and said, you know, how can we do this? And the BBC said, well, there's no point doing it as a sort of teaching type of thing. Why don't we try and weave it into a drama format? And that's how the Archers started. It was it was weaving in storylines that would educate as they were as people were being entertained. So and, here's an interesting uh, question. Sorry to jump in there, but nice. um, when you go from the university side of things and then get into BBC, you've at that stage come into contact. Well, even at the university, you're starting to work with um, audio as a brand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and so I was about to sort of ask you the question of. Did you know that you were learning, like, I don't know what you'd could you call it, audio branding at that time? Did you, do you think that you were, you realised that you were learning that? Or is it yeah, so- I think you, I think you do. You realise the power of sound, the power of audio. For me, that's why I prefer radio than TV, because it's, it's the pictures that you create in your own head. The power of radio and the power of audio is to fire the imagination and for you, and it's more powerful sometimes as an experience for you to have created those images in your own head. And that's what all good audio can do. And it leaves a memory and an impression that can be stronger than watching something on TV. TV is quite a lazy medium because you sit there in front of yeah. it, it gives you the pictures and the, and the sound. Whereas radio actually makes you work for yourself. And actually that can create a really long lasting legacy. So I, I love it. If you do it well, and you paint those pictures well with sound, it can so, be really powerful. Because with the Archers, were you, you were a director with that Yeah, show. I was 20. I was at the tender age of 25, having been on this drama serial up in Stoke-on-Trent, which was the everyday story of mining folk. And it was about health messages in drama format. So with an agricultural degree and a bit of experience on radio drama, where no other BBC local radio station was doing radio drama anyway, I then thought, well, you know what, I'm, I'll just give it a shot. And I, I contacted... The Archers at uh, Pebble Mill, it was then in Birmingham. It's now Pebble in, Mill, gosh. Yeah, and that's now raised to the ground. It's a, it's a, it's a car park, I think now. But they, they make it still in Birmingham, in, in the mailbox in the centre of Birmingham. Right. And uh, I just approached them, and they said, "Yeah, come, come and have a, an interview." And I started off as an assistant producer, uh, responsible for the continuity. There was a massive continuity system because you imagine every character that's been well, introduced. This is what I was about to ask because, from. And I'm going to say a branding perspective, each episode that goes out has to be consistent and it has to have the right levels or whatever. I don't know enough about audio at that at that level to understand what goes yeah. into it. Can you give us an idea of, I'm going to call it, what is the, the Archer's brand style consistency? How, what does it, how does it exist? It's, it's really interesting because unlike a lot of radio drama, which is post-produced, so the idea is for a lot of radio drama, you just have the actors around a microphone with their scripts. That's the beauty of radio is that you can have your script. You don't have to learn your lines. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to make it sound like it's coming off the page. But then you would add sound effects and ambience and the sound you're trying to generate in that radio drama afterwards with the with the archers because it's a production machine like any soap is when it's ongoing you do it all in real time so you have the actors and you have the sound technicians being the hands and feet of the actors so it might be that they're they're holding a knife and fork and they're rattling a plate as the actors pretending to eat and then the sound effects and we we recreated this at the time we took it on tv to show how an archer's episode is um made on a program called how do they do that and i vaguely um, remember that yeah yeah well it was yeah this was a lambing scene so in spring and of course you have to think about continuity not just the continuity of the actors what they what their preferences are, what their likes are. If a scriptwriter introduces a preference, tell, say it's a character that suddenly says, yeah, I love jam, I love strawberry jam. Well, you can't then create a script 
two years down the line that says they hate strawberry jam because you can bet your bottom dollar somebody's going to remember that as a fan. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to be, once you introduce the character profiles, you've got to be consistent with that. But also the consistency, because it's a country show, it's set in the countryside, consistency of sound. So like at certain times of the year, there are certain types of birds that are more prominent than others. So if you play, if you there's a there's a winter sound and there's a summer sound, so you've got to be consistent in that area. So when you talk about brand, you've got to do it in it consistent with the seasons as well as as with the characters. But then you do it all in real time. I love so, that yeah, attention amazing. to detail, and I bet there are a lot of people that go, "Whoa, that 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 hadn't even crossed my mind that it would be um, controlled in such a, a way." I think I had an inkling. But when you were telling me then and explaining it, it, I can relate it to when you do work with a a brand or a brand identity, the attention to detail detail. that's needed um, for certain businesses to have things in place and measures um, to make sure that it's presented right and the way that um, their employees talk about business, the uniforms they wear, you know, the, the... that inherently that pass on an experience or an emotion to that that customer for that uh, for that business. So and, and and its consistency as well, I think, is really important. And you know, what is like for the arches, for instance, what is the arches sound? As you said, what's the brand? And you know, the reason that brands that do well are um, are, are, are successful often is simply the consistency. Come, you know, regardless of the market conditions, they are always consistent in their look and feel, in their sound, yeah. in their in the emotions that they convey, you know, there's a consistency that you can build and it becomes real and tangible. So all those characters out of the arches, they they become people's friends, you know. I can remember my mum and dad sort of making a point of stopping in, in the middle of the day to listen listen to the arches as I was growing up. Never thought I'd end up working on it myself. And for me, as a 25-year-old, you know, I was, as a, as a 10 to 25-year-old director, working with actors that had been playing their parts before I'd been born really daunting yeah exciting though very exciting it was really exciting time and so how do you go from that i'm probably gonna i've got an inkling but it probably stems (laughs) into your excitement and adventure and adventurous streak in you to running a radio station in zambia yeah um humanitarian broadcasting in uh post-war kosovo yeah how how can you go from such yeah, a I know, I know. normal job i guess that's not really a normal job you know from a safe job Tim. I, I i i'm one of those people that loves change and loves adventure and doesn't like routine and i i like to stretch myself i like to get out of my comfort zone and do just have new experiences and, and I love talking to people, love meeting people, love hearing stories, telling stories. It's, it keep, you know, this keeps me alive in many respects. So I think I was always looking for a new experience and because the BBC is such a big organisation, there were always going to be opportunities, not just in this country, but overseas as well. And um, so I think a lot of my early career, I had a 20 or so years in and out of the BBC and it was just literally that I'd I'd travel sometimes I'd go and work abroad on a radio station then I might come back to the BBC and do something or and then go off and do another project I remember doing some recordings in Australia and bringing them back to Radio 4 so some farming programs because the beauty of having worked on the arches was that all the agricultural programs all the farming based programs for the BBC came out of Pebble Mill so I then got involved a little bit in Country File and um, there's other uh, agricultural shows on Radio 4 there's environment programs there's one called Cost in the Earth and on Five Live and the World Service so I got lots of opportunity and then and then really things changed started to change for me in the late 90s and I really felt like what I what I'd grown in and what I understood and how I'd grown as a broadcaster I wanted to give something back so I started then thinking about humanitarian projects being able to travel I loved Africa and I I I took a one-way ticket at one point to uh, Zambia via Kenya um, and I, as you do, as you do, it was a one-way <laughs> ticket, and because um, it was like I've got to make this work, and then I'll be able to afford to come back if I can make it work. Okay. Um, and I stopped off in Kenya, ran a project there, um, which was again a radio drama serial for farm, you know, farm, farming-based thing. And then I'd heard about this station in Zambia, and 
I'd pitched up in Lusaka, Zambia, and this radio station was part of a big uh, Christian organization actually based here in the UK. And they had a, uh, a farm and uh, a big college that had lots of students in and a radio station that was broadcasting in, on FM into Lusaka and shortwave to the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. And um, got involved with them and just did a bit of consultancy for them. And they needed a, um, a station manager. So they actually sent me back on a return ticket for an interview here back in the UK right. um, to take that role, which I got, and then went back on the return ticket to take up the post as station manager for this radio station in Zambia, back which is amazing. Back and forth. Yeah. Now, there's two stories that I want to, I want you to give us insight into. You've you survived being kidnapped. One of yeah. them. Now, yeah. is that Zambia or is that a different route? That was that was in Nigeria. Ah, um, right. And, and Nigeria is not an easy place to live. Um, and uh, yeah, that was with the BBC World Service, and it was actually the World Service Trust, which is the charitable wing of the World Service, and it was a project sponsored by or funded by the British government, the Department for International Development. And it was a democratization project effectively because it, the, the broadcast landscape in Nigeria broadly um, is quite heavy on propaganda uh, from, from, the, from the government. And so journalists over in Nigeria weren't really very clued up about pro providing balanced programs and, you know, with sound ed editorial judgment. And so the project was designed to try to train journalists across the broadcast landscape into being better quality journalists and better quality producers and okay. radio producers. So I uh, went out there on a 15 month project, uh, lived in midway between Christian South and Muslim North in a very, um, <laughs> a very sort of explosive area called, uh, uh, where was it? It was called Kaduna. Which actually right. twinned, twinned with Coventry in the West Midlands, okay. and this this, this this city had been the, the the location for riots right up to the point I arrived, and you know I could drive around Kaduna and see burnt out shanty towns, and it was quite scary at times. But the place people would say, "Where's your favourite place in Nigeria?" and I would say, "My compound with you know high walls, <laughs> razor wire, and a couple my of, uh, compound, couple of, <laughs> yeah, my compound <laughs> with uh, with with a couple of guard dogs." And I, I used to travel around. And I'd catch internal planes. That was that was a whole experience in itself to right. travel to various radio stations as part of a team and and work with journalists. So and when the, when were you kidnapped, Tim? That's... So so on the <laughs> in the same week, right? In the same week, I took a flight on a plane from Abuja, which is the capital, down to Lagos in the south, right. which is the huge city in South yeah. Nigeria. And um, the first experience that week was. Um, the plane, as I got on in, in Nigeria, on the internal flights, you buy a ticket like you would a bus ticket and they fill up a plane. And then when it's full, that's it. You can't buy any more tickets. And, you know, as you, there's no checking in properly. So people just pile into a plane. I'll never forget sitting on this plane about to take <laughs> off. And I could see this guy running down the runway to the steps that were still attached to the side of the plane. Right. And the plane started taxiing with the steps still attached to the side of the plane. And this guy ran up the steps as it was taxiing slowly uh -huh. and he was the last one on. And the, the, the steps just fell over because the plane was moving and then they shut the doors in the plane and off we went. So that was experience number one. When I landed, when I landed, I was supposed to have a driver because you had to have a certain degree of protection and, and drivers and support and security. Right. I would often have arms, armed guard security helping me around the country um, because it's quite an insecure place. And um, he was supposed to come and pick me up from Lagos Airport and he didn't turn up. We had a pool car there and I actually took it upon myself, probably foolishly, to <laughs> grab this car because, uh, you know, the keys were provided from the airport, got in the yeah. car to go to the appointment that I had, uh, which was a real mistake really. And I got a bit lost in Lagos because it's a sprawling, huge city. Uh -huh. Got to a set of traffic lights and didn't quite, I obviously looked like I didn't know where I was going. And um, before I knew it, I had two armed police officers came into the car on either side. One shoved me over in the driver's seat. Another came in on the passenger side and they both um, pointed a gun into my hips and said, drive. And so I drove and this was police officers. This was in, yeah. they were, well, I thought they were 
I, I didn't know whether they were genuine or they were just dressing up as police officers. But anyway, I drove. Who cares when they've got Who a cares? gun pointed at you? And, uh, <laughs> and they, they wanted me to drive out of the city. And I thought, this is it. This is it. They're going to drive me out of the city, going to take everything I've got and uh, shoot me, leave me for dead. What I was able to do, I just in that moment, I just thought, you've got to keep calm. Just keep them talking. They were quite animated and quite aggressive. I said, keep them talking. Just try to calm it down. And my wife at the time, she was working for the British High Commission. And that, that there's a big um, High Commission office in, uh, in Lagos. And I persuaded these armed officers to allow me to drive to this High Commission's location because that's where I'd be able to get them some money. And they, and they believed me, fortunately, and we right. arrived and I got out and there were the, the, the armed guards at the British High Commission. I recognised them, they recognised me because my wife had a job with the British High Commission. And um, I got out and I just ran over to them and I said, these guys have kidnapped me, um, I, I need protection. They came out of their sentry posts and the two police officers in the uh, in the car I'd been in, they got out and they drew their guns. And I thought, this is going to be a firefight in the middle of the street. And it was just literally like a Mexican standoff. And they all looked at each other with me carrying behind the wall inside the compound of the British High Commission. Jeez. And I thought they were all going to kill each other. And then suddenly it all dis, dis, you know, it all just sort of disappeared. Right. And they turned on their heels these two police officers and, and off they ran and and the british high commission on my behalf put a complaint into the president um of nigeria at the time because this i wasn't the first incident this has happened to other british expats and basically threatened to pull out the country at that point because they've got a big visa office in nigeria there's a lot of nigerians coming to and fro from from there to the uk and um said if this keeps happening we're, we're going to ship out it, it really shook me up but i realized i wasn't the yeah. first and I, I probably wasn't wasn't going to be the last so did that dampen the adventurous the um, adventurous spirit of Tim? Oh, to no. be honest, not really. No, I mean for for a time. But I thought, you know, it's like you, you can't you can't let that experience then, you know, for you to feel fear for the rest of your life whenever you travel. So, well, I was um, about to say, oh no, because you went on to do a radio show from a crocodile pen. But I don't know if that was before or after the kidnapping. That chronologically, was, that was actually that was actually before. Oh yeah, damn it. That was I thought that difficult. would have been quite a good little segue. No, but, that one. but you know, again, great, great experience. That was just doing a series of sh um, programs on on different farms across Australia for for Radio Four, Brilliant. and um, and one of them was up in Cairns in the north west, uh, northeast uh, coast of Australia, and it was a crocodile farm. And it was like I was walking into the scene of Crocodile Dundee because the guy I was interviewing, who ran this farm, he had the classic hat with the crocodile teeth and the and the um, corks hanging down from the top of this hat and we sat in a in in sort of 30 degree nearly 100 percent humidity heat sat in a crocodile pen with this seven eight foot male crocodile about six seven feet of us completely motionless just looking at us as we were sat around a table with the broadcast equipment eating a crocodile burger of all things wow and um which is very strange if you've ever eaten crocodile it's like a combination of fish and chicken quite actually quite nice but a bit rubbery but i didn't think it was a good idea to be eating a crocodile burger in front of the <laughs> crocodile and this 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 uh, farmer it was a real character uh, a bit like crocodile dundee himself uh, <laughs> he had a stick and every time this crop just moved slightly where it looked like he might come towards us, um, he just gave it a little crack on the snout just to keep it at bay. <laughs> so when you listen back to the recording, there's this heightened sense of emotion from me. <laughs> Everything is full adrenaline. And I'm thinking at any point I could I could get munched. Oh man, the stick, a classic deterrent of crocs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're amazing, they're amazing animals. They really are amazing animals. It was Absolutely, but they, they grow they're, definitely, the, they're great to look at on the they, TV. Yeah, not, on the TV, <laughs> not in the flesh with a man with a stick. No. But they um, were farming them for the um, for the skin, you know, handbag the handbag trade. Um, so it was a it was a proper crocodile farm. Crazy, crazy. Well, I mean, obviously, you can uh, anyone that's listening can see your your kind of story journey to this point and why i wanted to get you on was to so that you could bring that to light and i, I at the same time i wanted to hear um all of those different adventures but then the big question is 
how do you move um, from that broadcast side of things into coaching? What was yeah. the point? Where where did that happen and what happened there? So I had had this career in the BBC and eventually came back from Nigeria, took a role at a BBC local radio station. I'd had various postings at uh, BBC local radio stations across the Midlands and so they went from Nigeria to Coventry I was sent, sent to Coventry from Nigeria and uh, <laughs> took a role at BBC Coventry and Warwickshire which is a brand new brand new station that was being launched by the BBC then and enjoyed that for a while and but I think 2006 2007 I was starting to realize that I was probably coming towards the end of my run with the BBC and I uh, had real a real desire to actually venture out and have a go myself and community radio had started as a model in the uk in 2004 because we've got national bbc local bbc national commercial local commercial and the third tier of broadcasting in the uk is now community radio and that opportunity to actually form local groups in a city and apply for a community radio license really appealed to me so I, i i sketched out a business model uh, started to look for some funding, applied to Ofcom, the regulator for a license, because this was going to be an FM station, which was also online. And um, we got the award of the license in 2008. And I set the company up uh, called Coventry and Warwickshire Media Community uh, in 2010. Uh, you get a certain amount of time before you have to form the company so you can pull together finance and local support etc yeah, and we yeah. did it we did it well and we ended up in the former home of a commercial radio station um called mercia fm as it was then uh, in coventry and it was an eight thousand square foot building with radio state studios intact three radio studios it was probably one of the best equipped community radio stations in the country because of all that space we were able to then invite other partners in to be rental partners with us but create a community media hub okay. which really had all the skills in to sort of create a record label so we had we had local um, music production businesses we had um, pr agency we had graphic design agency and it was great. It was like an incubator for local media companies and they were yeah. paying us rent. That was that was part of the business model. Yeah. And um, we, we served the city and we were pulling together people. We were signposting local people to services, to services that they needed. And it was some tough times in Coventry at that time. Welfare reform was coming in. And we we were what really made me excited about it was, you know, a couple of people coming into the studio that wouldn't know each other to talk about the same um, issue in the city and then they go off and realize they had a lot in common and might exchange business cards and before you knew it you you brought people together who then went off and ran a project so you you know it was like the glue that then was really part of the community in the city and it was great and we sp- span out into all sorts of projects that we did for the city we would broadcast at the local music festivals and things like that and then that's where i started working with young people who were interested in a media career from the local universities and colleges ah, right. and so this is this is that's, now that's I've, i'm moved. starting to yeah that i was about to say it would seem like you all of a sudden when you became more involved with um community and actually dealing with people more that something changed and you realized yeah. you know this yeah. I, I enjoy this as well let's have a go at yeah, that <laughs> i think so and i think i think i mean the, the station was set up um with a particular identity to be a voice on behalf of a lot of the faith groups in the city so um a lot of the churches a lot of the projects that were being run that were helping people that were in need um so the winter night shelters and the food banks and all of that people support signposting that we were involved in and that was fueled by my faith i'd i'd i'd, I'd had a quite a dramatic sort of conversion to the christian faith when i was in my late 20s that made a massive difference in my life and you talk about personal brand and dividing moments that was a big big deal for me and that's where i think i was really motivated to want to give back from the experiences that i'd had and that just accelerated and community radio felt like the perfect opportunity for that and you know with young people particularly who are interested in media it's often that that's a really good entry point for young people but 
it, we can we found funding for employability training with the media at the same time so they were coming in as trainee presenters and then we were helping them to make sure that their cv was up to scratch and interview skills and all that stuff and then formed the partnerships with the other broadcasters in the city so i already had that part that relationship with the bbc having come out of it and what was really exciting was seeing young people do a stint with us and then going off and getting work experience at the BBC, BBC Coventry in Warwickshire and then getting full-time jobs with them so that was love like it. you were helping them to step into a career so yeah, really, really fulfilling so I was coaching young people regularly in in being good broadcasters and realized I enjoyed that and so I suppose what I'm doing now is just formalize that in many respects and yeah. I came out I if you'd have said to me at the start of 2017 this is the year you will um get married you will you will leave the radio station that you set up 10 pre 10 years previously having won a Queen's Award for Voluntary Service and having gone to Buckingham Palace to get that award from Her Majesty and all of the exciting stuff that we did in it you'll leave it you'll get married you'll 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 move to South Yorkshire for a, a new job um, and you'll have a, a baby, I would have laughed, but that, that all came to pass in 2017. <laughs> and uh, that's what brought me up to South Yorkshire. So, um, and it was to actually take a role with a, a charity that was facilitating partnerships in cities all across the country for the benefit of the city. Uh, and that came out of a company and the company was sold in 2019. And so actually I could see that I was gonna probably be made redundant in a merger between two or three other companies. And I thought, well, actually this is an opportunity to think, what do I really wanna do for the next stage of my career? And started thinking about coaching and looked at perhaps setting up my own consultancy, but because I was new to South Yorkshire, I didn't really have a network up here. So I then started looking at franchises and that's when I came across Action Coach. Yeah, now um, before we go into that, it? what I was going to ask you is because a lot of the listeners, um, the listener base that I attract is is people with that entrepreneurial spirit, if you like. Mm. They, they have that um, uh, get up and go about them and they want to achieve stuff. Now, what was interesting about some of the notes that you sent across to me was that you described your journey back in 2018 as becoming, you said, becoming increasing, you realized you were becoming increasingly unemployable. <laughs> yeah. What, what does that mean? I think, I think when you start to really know who you are and you have the self-awareness to recognize what your strengths and your weaknesses are, and you can see if you do one of those classic psychometric tests what sort of basic personality profile you have i would say i've always been somebody who feels comfortable in a leadership position and i like to be part of teams where you know you're achieving something you've got some goals to work towards i like challenges um and often when I've been in a situation where I'm not allowed to fully express who I am, if I'm, I can't bear being micromanaged or not delegated to and given a certain amount of autonomy. I don't work well unless I've got a high degree of autonomy. And so, you know, when that's not working, if you're in a team that is heavily managed and micromanaged. And so that's, you know, I've had those experiences where it's not fun. Yeah. And over time you start thinking, well, look, actually what excites me more is about, you know, being able to realize my own dreams and ambitions than perhaps somebody else's. And so then you start wondering, well, does that mean that I am not suited to being employed? And then you come yeah. to terms with that and realize that there's no nothing to be ashamed of with that. And so I think coming back to running my own business again um, is what's been really exciting. And the reason I was keen to bring that up is because there will be listeners that will be at that point or could be experiencing those type of um, or going through that, that those mm. feelings and that transition. Um, do you coach that level yeah. of person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, and I think you know, it, whatever point anybody is at, I think it's always that combination of you know vision and action. I I, I like to use a really simple formula for for change. Um, for anybody to change or for, for their circumstances to change, you have to have the combination of dissatisfaction of where you're at. I don't think you can have a vision without some form of a complaint anyway, or some form of dissatisfaction with the status quo. So you've got to be dissatisfied with where you're at, have a vision of where you want to get to, be willing to take some first steps and actually take some action, all of that together. So D times V, dissatisfaction times vision, plus a couple of first steps, 
if that's greater than or equal to the level of resistance you feel, mm. maybe out of fear or procrastination or whatever, then then things will move. But if your resistance is too high or you're too fearful, it doesn't matter how dissatisfied you are or how much vision you've got, you won't move. So <clears throat> you've, got to, you've got to be prepared to take some risks, I think, in terms of just some action, but do your homework. And if you've got a strong desire and an ambition, just just do it. You know, you hear, don't you, the cliches of people who get to their deathbed and think, you know, the things they regret, the things they didn't do, yeah, um, rather than the things they did do. So listen, I'm keen to to get into the action coach side of things, but that little snippet that we've just um, run through on on as we go into this coaching, the last part of the interview, if someone's listening and they go, do you know what actually um, what Tim's talking about is completely resonating with me, and they want to get in touch with you, Tim, we'll have links in the show notes. But how would somebody reach out to you in the first instance? I think it's just being visible. I like to add value really is a lot of what I'm doing is building community. Certainly in South Yorkshire, I have a defined territory as a license holder with the franchise action coach, which is, you know, North Sheffield up through Rotherham, the Dern Valley into Barnsley, Doncaster. And it's about building a community of support. It's about adding value to business owners, being able to challenge some of their assumptions, um, give them hints and tips, being being a port of call for support and education. It's usually the combination of mindset and then practical tips that can help a business to genuinely grow. And so, you know, it's about being visible. So, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, um, we've got a website, all of those sort of normal things. But, uh, you know, as, as, as I'm sure it's the same for you, you know, you don't yeah. want to connect with somebody on LinkedIn and within 24 hours, they're sending you a, a spam, which is just a sales pitch. You know, it's about, can you genuinely add value? Ask good questions. Coaching is predominantly about asking really good questions yeah. um, and showing that you really can empathize and that you're an active listener and you can listen well. That's why we've got two ears and one mouth, you know, listen twice as much as you talk and ask the right questions, ask good questions, insightful questions. And I, I, I like to listen with ears, eyes and heart all at the same time so that you're looking for what's underneath the thing that yeah i know what you mean i'm Um, a very good listener i'm not a coach but i can't help as a creative um really picking up on details that perhaps other people wouldn't and that's hard for me to actually describe um or, or put into words because they are things that people will just say um in a bit in automation, but I have to listen and then um, process and then visualize as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's taking what they are describing or uh, briefing me, if you want to call it that. Yeah. But being able to understand what they're telling me and then reinterpret it. So I completely um, get where you're coming from with that. So I could make a great coach, by the way, Dan, actually. I've been told that before <laughs> and uh, we'll see, but it's not on my, it's not on my to-do list for 2021. <laughs> I think, but I think by the sounds of it, the way you interact with your clients, you know, you're going to be asking questions so that you can dig under the surface of yeah. what their brand's all about. So, you, you know, it's probably, some coaching skills there as you're doing your job anyway yeah there's certainly there's a level of that um it it might not come across as like labeled as coaching but you have to ask the type of questions um that that would uh, that probably would be asked by a coach definitely um so that brings us quite nicely into the present which is you um working with a franchise and the franchise is action coach and i have my first question because we're going to we're closing in on, I'm looking at 50 minutes, but I definitely want to talk about franchise and, and brand. And I think the yeah. first question I want to ask is why choose a franchise? It's a good question because there are ups and downs of a franchise. Clearly, there are massive advantages in terms of a community that you become part of. So I have a coach who's an action coach, uh, that that that, that I, I don't think I can be a good coach unless I'm being coached at the same time. So I have access to a wealth of support and a community of coaches that I can continually ask questions of myself. Massive resource um, base in terms of the portals and the systems that I've got. And, and actually the system 
for the tried and tested system for helping businesses to grow and to for business owners to find the freedom that they're looking for out of their businesses um, is great. So it's not like I've got to reinvent the wheel. I'm I'm learning all the time. It's just a continual cycle of self-development and self-learning and mindset as well as, as I say, these practical tools. And so that's the, that's the advantage of it. I suppose yeah. the, the downside is, you know, there are royalties to pay. You've got a... Uh, there are certain boundaries that you can't step out of. I have a license agreement which sets a framework legally for me to work within. But what that comes is, is with the certification that enables me to have the credibility to do what I do. And so that's 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 the backbone to it, really. So I think you've got to just do your due diligence and work out what it is you're trying to achieve and does a franchise model work for you? Yeah. Uh, or would it work against you? And I think it's more about setting out your your goals and your ambitions and your vision of, of what you're trying to achieve and then working out through due diligence whether whether a franchise framework is right for you. I think from my point of view, um, and definitely for this show and this episode, um, I wanted to ask a question about what it's like to be given a brand, which is kind of how I view a franchise. Yeah. If I was to buy into it, I'm being given that brand and access to it. And so I will not have any of the stress of um like manifesting that brand yes and yeah yeah what's it like being given a brand here you are well again i think pros and cons and i think one of the great advantages is you know you've got a brand framework you've got some brand momentum you've got website frameworks that are given to you and if it's a really good quality franchise there'll be that really good balance of you being able to create your own look and feel within that but with an overall consistency and some brand guidelines that you work within which again you don't have to reinvent the wheel you've got immediate momentum uh, and it probably gives you the advantage of looking and appearing as if you're larger and more established than you would otherwise be without that if you're having to achieve it yourself yeah. i think the downside is you know does it stifle your creativity do you feel like it hems you in creatively i haven't felt that because you know it for me it comes with a culture it comes with a set of defined values that i buy into and and appreciate and yeah, just before uh, you go on so that culture and those values sorry to put in again there tim but that no. i was about to ask you was that like a bit of a um did you shop around for the right franchise to join? Because yeah. I don't know what's yeah. out there. And I know yeah. with businesses that that culture and the, the, the values that they have built their businesses around would be critical for me. Did yes. you go through that? That's right. I mean, that was part of the due diligence process. So I, I literally, you know, just got on a on a search engine and, and started to type business coaching, I didn't actually look for a franchise to begin with. I just looked up companies that were involved in in business coaching and, and Action Coach because of its central strength from a marketing point of view came up pretty quickly. And again, that's one of the other benefits because you pay a royalty, but that royalty and the marketing um, levy that goes back to the master franchise license holder in the UK yeah. is used to market the brand overall. So you're getting exposure both centrally plus what you do with your own marketing and yeah it came with this 14 points of culture with you know key words like abundance like integrity honesty commitment a whole bunch of words that for me it really resonated with me as well yeah i can buy into that and excellence you know there's a level of excellence in it and quality of people that is just phenomenal i'm learning from people all the time uh, and those that are further down the journey than me and you know we come together we've just had a conference a month ago which was fantastic just such a buzz just a real can-do attitude and just phenomenal people really just just really impressed with the quality of of people so so i think you've got to know whether through that due diligence it fits with your shape and it fits with your set of values and for me as i said you know i'm i'm a christian i've got a set of values that comes with that and actually they aligned really well and i didn't see any incompatibility at all with some of the values that action coach stands for and, and my faith and um I, I i really enjoy it and actually i've met a couple of others that share that faith within the within the community as well i like it i like it so there's a little insight certainly from your perspective i think everyone should have 
listened to and thought, actually, well, I certainly listened and went, yeah, I'd not really thought about it from that point of view. Um, that you know, do the do your homework, and if it resonates homework. with you, yeah, as a brand, yeah. there's no reason why franchising and having coming being given that brand to work with, if it works for you, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 here's the thing: actually, one of my clients at the moment is a McDonald's franchisee. Um, you oh, know, right. talk about the best, the biggest yeah. small business in the world, and probably probably one of the best known franchises is mcdonald's now that's a brand that's very very tight we all will appreciate that you know in terms of the marketing machine that's out there is phenomenal have you watched um, the film the document not the yeah, documentary but the yeah, film about yeah. it i loved it i thought yeah. it was a brilliant film it's very very uh, very enlightening um it is. And yeah it's it's phenomenal and some of the things that go on behind the scenes that people wouldn't first see when they turn up for their burger um there's a lot to it obviously and it's a system mm-hmm. um it's a tried and tested system so yeah but again very well defined mm. you know you don't have a lot of scope to branch out and do your own thing because mcdonald's is mcdonald's and in if fact it, a franchise brand is one of the most um it's one of the most solid and consistent brands that brand models that exist absolutely it's got to be um for the reason of each shop each store each person that works there needs to be an experience that matches the next one that's right i think so they, they are just phenomenal at systems i yeah. mean we, we would advocate as coaches you know if you can systemize about 80 percent of your business humanize the exceptions at around 20 percent. i would i would imagine mcdonald's is further than that you're talking 90 10 probably yeah. where they've just got an operations manual that is absolutely nailed down and so you know it's a it's a system and a set of processes that is just tried and tested and well honed like it i like it well i did have a question but i know that i'm looking at my timer and we're coming up on an hour so i'm going to skip one that <laughs> i was going to ask i know it does um and i want to ask the question that i ask every guest um which is if you have a boldest brand that you'd like to mention on the episode and it can be a person it can be a business um that is just doing it for you as a brand um, have you got a boldest brand for this episode tim uh, i have well there was a couple that came to mind one a couple of a bit left field but the, the one that's probably more standard is as a result of having gone to see i was a bit of a fan always as a kid of james bond and i went to see no time to die recently and loved nice. it and um i think james bond i think james bond is a brand that is has got you know it's it's the 20 i think it's the 25th or 26th in the franchise and uh, we're talking about franchises and it's 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 evolved through all of the the last sort of 50 years or so and the ups and downs in in cultural terms and it survived and uh, so therefore in terms of strength of brand um I don't think you can get much better as the, the, certainly from a film perspective than something like James Bond and uh, Daniel Craig obviously doing his five films and then um, you know moving on um, I can I can see the brand just continuing to go from strength to strength so he's, he's I haven't he's seen a good job it yet. I haven't seen yeah, it yet. so, so any, certainly no spoilers. spoilers no spoilers but yeah I think it's a really strong brand and it's in it's in the news now because obviously it was postponed as a result of the pandemic but it's it's probably still in a few cinemas now it's been out there for about four or five weeks but fantastic yeah. and we've not I've not had a film as a brand a boldish brand so you're a first which there we go and adventurous... I'll tell you what my other I, my <laughs> other one is I thought about this and I thought you know what actually here's here's a radical thought coronavirus what? is a brand <laughs> coronavirus is a brand serious yeah, it's because if you think about it, it's become a brand. There is a spin-off industry. You think about PPE equipment. You think about all the new terms, buzzwords that have come in culturally over the last couple of years as a result of coronavirus. I would argue that, and, and there will be money. There are people. There's people out there that have made a lot of money out of coronavirus, as there are people who've suffered. So, I don't think know, I can, winners I, and losers. I can't do. I can't picture of that it doesn't seem right the corona well i just coronavirus well, as a i'm brand. just posing the posing the question yeah. is coronavirus a brand in its own right i don't um, think so maybe not but it's, <laughs> well, i was about it's, to say maybe pandemic pandemic, pandemics yeah. have, a, have a brand but well, then yeah. again yeah. i don't know i don't know that 
I've got a kind of mental block with that one. <laughs> I'll stick with Bond. <laughs> yeah, stick with Bond. But yeah, I, that was my radical thought for the day, or at least it was a question. Because Imagine of, if you had to brand it, though. There's well, the yeah. question. Yeah, and I think you know because it's in our branding a virus. Wow. Yeah, it's, well, it's in our it's in our language all the time at the moment, isn't it? So you would argue that what brands do is get you talking, and they they raise awareness. And I I, I don't know other principles similar. So well, yeah, I that's don't a bit know. Of a I've certainly got mine whirring because like a brand, um, you know, it represents you know vision and emotion and stuff and. Yeah, an interesting take. You're not going to have it, though, as your boldest brand. I'm not going to no, let you... I'll let stick you with have. James Bond. Um, it's a bit like Desert Island Disc, isn't it, where you've got, to, you've got to choose one, the book that you're going to take onto the Desert Island. I think I'll I take did my, let, I'll take my whale brand as James Bond. I think I did let someone have two once, but um, I'm not, <laughs> you've talked far too much for it to allow, me to allow you to have two bold brands. <laughs> That's fine. Um, look, that... In fact, no, I'm not going to end the the, um, the episode just yet because I've got one last thing I want to ask you mm-hmm. um, and I don't care if it goes on fast an hour. Um, <laughs> but if if you met yourself 10 years ago, what would you say to yourself? That's a great question. Um, I'd say don't be afraid to say no. Okay. I would say protect your boundaries work out what those boundaries are uh, as you learn to respect yourself as you respect others I would rec- I would say recognize that you don't know what you don't know be willing to use your emotions as data for an indicator of what you know you need to learn and what you want how you want to grow don't ignore your emotions when they're trying yeah. to tell you something Good one. Um, and also I'd say manage your expectations better because if you don't manage your expectations you're likely to have to manage your disappointments so uh but have more fun uh choose friends more carefully than perhaps you did before um be a better listener Sorry, um, ten, 10 year younger Tim's now got bored and has decided to leave. <laughs> I'm, joking. Bad, I'm joking. I'm actually keen to put it into some. Uh, I'm trying to visualize the context. Where would you meet 10 year younger Tim? Where would I meet 10 year I don't know Tim? because I, I have this thing in my head when yeah. I ask the question to um, each guest, I always like my head visually goes back 10 years so it's like it's 2011 yeah. like where would you be i would, would be you? in a i would be in in nairobi airport waiting for a plane sat next to somebody really interesting who'd been involved in some amazing project in mozambique and we'd be sat there over a beer having this amazing conversation um Brilliant. And just talking about the wilderness, what makes it go round. So yeah, I love it. I love I'd it. be having a, a, a good conversation. I think that's a perfect note to end on. And that I wanted to ask that question because I knew if I asked you that question, I'd get some awesome answers. <laughs> um, and I think I, I know we've had some really. When I listen back, we've we've covered some great topics. I've really enjoyed listening to your story, your journey. Um, on on this on this episode so all i'm going to say tim is you know thank you very much for coming on um and taking the time to share that with us is there anything else that you would like to squeeze in (laughs) i think no that's it i've I've done my time it's been a pleasure really enjoyed it dan and you you've made me feel really comfortable and um yeah i don't do this very often i love telling stories but actually just charting the narrative of my life i haven't done that very often i do have a book in me that i'd like to write and i think what, i've got the title <laughs> uh, just the one yeah just the one okay um, i've got the title so i need to start and i think mm, i've lived out quite a number of the chapters but there's still a few chapters still to come before i put pen to paper i think i love it i think you've definitely got a book in you so yeah listen uh, we'll put some links in the show notes to tim's action coach uh, site we'll put links to his social media so if you do feel like anything has resonated with you and you want to connect and perhaps reach out and engage with some of Tim's content or ask him any questions there will be links to do that 
Um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on and maybe we'll hook up again next time when we want to burn an hour in the space of what felt like 15 <laughs> right. minutes. Thank you very much for coming on, Tim. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dan. So here we are, the end of another episode. Just like to say thank you very much for listening. Really does mean a lot. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave me a review. Love reading comments and feedback from listeners. If you've been listening and think that you would like to find out if your brand has all of the key ingredients to make it stand out from the crowd, don't forget to hit the links button in the player. Yes, this player that you're listening on, which will take you to my brand report. And that will give you a customized report score of your brand straight to your inbox. If you'd like to find out more about myself, visit my website, www.danielocock.com. Again, links are in the show notes. You can book a call with me if you'd like to discuss your next project. The show is available on all major platforms. So don't forget to hit subscribe if you'd like to be updated about future episodes. And remember, if you're not proud of your brand, then how do you expect anyone else to be?